Welcome to iPodcast Magic Missile, where we play games and talk geek. Broadcasting every week from the New River Valley in the beautiful mountains of Southwest Virginia, we bring you audio from some of the most exciting games, new and old. No actual wizard spells here, just actual play from great games. This is iPodcast Magic Missile. Someone had told me that it. I, I think someone else, possibly James, had told me disappointedly that it. Um, what movie is this, by the way? It's called Cash Back. It's some. Um, it, it, uh, it's British. It's a British movie, which I learned after I started watching it, and it's some kind of indie movie, which I could tell from the style of the pro, uh, production studio title cards at the beginning. Um, it uh, stars Ben. No, wait, the character's name was Ben Ellis. I don't remember the actual actor's <laughs> name. But it starred no actors I'd seen except for, like, one guy who did a bit part that um, played Moriarty in Sherlock mm, Holmes. Nice. And I like him. He was, but he was, like, he had, like, <coughs> three lines. He, he was just in the end of the movie. Anyways, so this movie um, is about a guy who breaks up with his girlfriend, gets devastating insomnia, and then takes a job working the night shift at a 24-hour supermarket. I think I saw that movie. And he gains the ability, perhaps imagined, it's, it's sort of a surrealistic movie, to stop time. Right. And, and so what he does is he stops time in the supermarket and goes around and then undresses the attractive female patrons of the supermarket, paints them because he's an art student and a painter, and then dresses them again and then restarts time. And in a number of points, like, I assumed from the beginning of this movie that this was, like, more of a, more of, more, what's the word I'm looking for, a metaphorical? Mm-hmm. Like, he's imagining himself stopping time, but that's not really what's happening. But then some stuff happens in the movie that seems to suggest that it's real. Doesn't he do that in, like, a soccer game or something? Yes. Okay. He does stop time in the soccer game, though he doesn't do it and then interfere in the soccer game. He walks back to the clubhouse to get a soda from the soda machine. (laughs) Where they have this really terrifying scene. Like, I was not ready for any amount of fear to be caused by this movie. But he walks over to the the vending machine, and he puts money in the vending machine, and he turns the thing. And then, like, we, the audience, just hear, like, this, like, shuffling noise. Just like a kind of noise. And then he, you know, stands up rigid, and he narrates to the audience for most of the movie. Mm-hmm. And he says, last thing that occurred to me was that I am not the only person who can stop time. And so then he, like, turns around and he steps sideways. And, w- and if you're the audience, you can see that, like, when he walked in, he walked past a guy who was, you know, one of the people frozen in time. And when he put- walked past that guy, suddenly there was a dude in a hoodie looking away from the camera that we couldn't see his face who had been added to the frame behind that guy. And they started playing, like, chiller-type music. Mm-hmm. And I was like... I'm suddenly very afraid. Mm. Like, total terror scene came out of nowhere here. And so then he turns around, he's looking around the room, and he, and he focuses on the guy with the hoodie, because, you know, he also recognized that guy wasn't there. And he walks sl- towards him, like, slowly, and they play, like, sensible music. And then suddenly the guy in the hoodie turns and looks at him, and then, like, scurries out of the room at, like, super speed. And then he walks back to the soccer game where he was, and uh, the main character walks back to the soccer game and restarts time, and... They never pay. He, they never pay no mind to that scene again in the movie. It was probably one of the things contributing to its one and a half star rating. But for the money, I think it deserves more than a one and a half star rating. Um, like if I, I, I know why it got it though, because if you came for the boobs, the <laughs> story about 
like finding love and coping with emotional loss harshed your mellow. And if you came there for the story about finding love and emotional uh, and coping with emotional loss, distracting. the boobs were, I wouldn't say distracting, I would say more like morally offensive. Um, <laughs> because they're, I mean, it's a big part of what the movie's about. Actually, one of the things that I found useful and entertaining about the movie was the, uh, its analysis of how a young boy comes to understand sexuality and the female body and like the sexual appeal of the female body because there's a lot of flashbacks throughout the movie to his young life where like he and uh, he the, the main character has this um, he talks about how his fascination with the female form started when he was very young and his parents had a uh, exchange student boarding with them <laughs> who was Swedish ah. therefore the walk back to her room from the shower need not be a modest one and then they have this very gratuitous scene where this very voluptuous, very young woman comes walking out of the bathroom, stark naked, with full frontal nudity, and the kid just stares as she, like, walks by. Um, and then, as though the scene weren't belabored enough, then he sees that she has dropped her panties on the ground, so he picks them up, carries them up to her door, knocks on the door, and then she opens the door, and we get more headless, full frontal nudity as he hands her the panties, like, you dropped these, and she said thanks, and takes them from him, and then closes the door again. <laughs> so, like, it's like that. You can understand if you're the type of person who is, who never wants to be shown nudity outside of a porn movie, or like, I'm not, I'm not here to masturbate, so I don't need to see that. This movie could kind of bum you out. But I think that if you're engaged in the movie on the level of the main character, who is a legitimate painter who likes to draw the female form, they go, they, they really do a good job, in my estimation, though apparently not in some critics' estimation, of justifying the female form as a thing that has, like, is legitimate to want to see for non sexual reasons. The movie can do two things. Yeah. Yeah, the old walking around the supermarket undressing attractive female patrons was certainly a thing that I could see as being very controversial. Mm. Yeah, there's, a, there's something a little bit uh, sexual assaulty about that. I felt better about More it. More than a little. Yeah, yeah. okay, a lot. <laughs> I felt better about it because, because I, I approached it assuming that this was not really happening. <coughs> but then he walked over to his jerk boss, Picked up his frozen mannequin-like body, put it in a shopping cart, carried it to the back room where his two <laughs> slacker co-workers were in a spoiled milk carton throwing fight and planted him in the path of some airborne, frozen-in-time spoiled milk. So, you know, and then let time restart, and the guy got hit in the face. Which suggests he was actually disrobing and violating women in the supermarket. Yeah. yeah. But maybe, or... I'm pretty sure he was. So I there's can, a really great article it. if you look it up about being a fan of problematic <clears throat> art, which I think definitely applies to this movie. Mm. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've. I'll link it in the show notes. I would definitely yeah. a it definitely sounds like a movie that is problematic art. When I watched that movie, it was in like high school with my parents, and I don't even remember it being that awkward. Really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I know they in, in the article you're talking about. They mentioned uh, Scott Pilgrim. Uh, that's problematic art. Well, Everything is problematic to one degree or another. Like, <laughs> we want to try to hold certain artists up on pedestals, like Joss Whedon as being like this, like paragon of feminism slash uh, whatever you know acceptance slash you know positive things that we 
we see, but sort of everyone has. There's always going to be a moment where. When is Paltrow's bare feet? Yeah, I mean he's he's still going to objectify people. Paltrow's really hot. He's got hot feet too. I you totally see where Josh Whedon is coming from there, but I could see how some people couldn't. Well, no, I mean, but the, but the point is that like, even sort of our men, men and women are sort of heroes who stand up for you know equality of all sorts of people. Occasionally, we'll put stuff into because we're all human and whatever. We'll put stuff into their um, put stuff into their art that is still sort of objectifying or you know takes away the uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for. The, the quality of protagonism, the uh, the uh, not disempowers, but you know what I mean. Uh, uh, of characters based on you know uh, things, and it's still okay to like those things. Scott Pilgrim is actually, you know, fairly progressive in a lot of ways, but not in others. Mm-hmm. And like I think at the end of the day, it's about rescuing the princess. Yeah, pretty much. Classic story. No. Deprotagonized. That's actually the word I was thinking of. <laughs> I was disappointed that knives didn't uh, fight, have to fight uh, Scott Pilgrim's evil ex-girlfriend at the end, or that rather that the the girl didn't have to fight Scott Pilgrim's evil ex-girlfriend, knives at the end. Mm. Um, yeah, I well, wanted that's, to see. I wanted actually, to see an end where she had to fight knives. I think that was actually sort of one of the criticisms was that like. It was all up to Scott to do everything, and whether or not that's like. Hello. 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 Hey. Surprise! It's Surprise. me. Surprise! No more mustache. Oh right. You yeah, you are. <laughs> I know. I'm Shave really bad at like seeing you. Regular <laughs> basis. Yeah. Well, I can <laughs> see you fine now. It's cool. <laughs> You've now you're now you're now one of the select few who knows for a fact that I am not a holographic construct of funny games. <laughs> I don't believe you. You can never be playing. I'm a portable projector. Yeah. I can manifest in the presence of anyone who works for me. <laughs> <laughs> so Yanni or Conrad can carry me around. So I don't so think I, I told you either. Will and Caitlin are not here this weekend. Yeah. yeah. And we're going to. I think we're going to play Siren. And then if Will and Caitlin want to play Siren, we'll play Siren. I think okay. that's a decent compromise. Are you okay with playing a game yeah. called Siren? I no, I object. Dun, dun, dun. I think I think uh, Duncan might take issue with that because he was expressing earlier that it was like Monster Hearts. Why? Oh well, that was just because we haven't done it in like three weeks, and I know this week's was I'm my fault. I'm kind of forgetting what's it, happening. It's no longer my fault. Well, listen to the podcast. Oh, that's true. <laughs> it's like you we just edit, all the edit that part out where I I Whoa. have not remembered. Our first thought was that we were going to have story time with Blake, but Blake, most of Blake's stories require Heiko being present. Right. Also, Heiko is an excellent radio personality, and I don't want to miss out on that. <laughs> so the other thing was, despite the fact that we lost our discussion of Twigers and, like, other bad people. Yeah, that's right. Um, there's a couple of people here who have, like, pertinent, relevant, recent stories about, like, dealing with people who weren't quite fitting into a... Well, and I don't even have a resolution to that yet. Well, maybe we should discuss that. Like, is that okay? Yeah. I mean, yeah. we're not going to say any cast aspersions on anyone's character, I and mean, we certainly won't name names. Well, but, Duncan, you also said that you had had an experience. Oh, well, I was I was there for they the conversation the and got a quick recap of it, and I thought that there was something interesting that... I didn't want to stick around and be in the conversation because it involved yelling and was late at night. <laughs> so hold on a second. I want to do one more quick sound check now that Joanna's here. Yes. Um, so this is Dave. This is Blake. This is still Duncan. This is Joanna. This is no longer Yanni. All right. <laughs>
before I like maxed it out on a couple of sound checks <laughs> earlier. Well, yeah, see, stop being so, so meta. So I, I have this. <laughs> I have secret audacity yeah, skills that let me take all the levels and like bring everybody up. So some people sound slightly quieter than others, but everyone will be in the same basically the same audio range. Everyone will max out at about twenty, negative twenty uh, decibels. Like good audacity skills. Yeah, mad fat. Non-shock skills. Non-shock skills. Audacity skills. Leveling skills. <laughs> I like was the, doing Napoleon Dynamite. What? I was being only. I'm like an audacity swagger. I was going Magical drunk powers. powers. Yeah, you mentioned Twiger. Is that half tiger? So did half... you pick up Twiger's or was no. that that was? No, that's the one? John Locke thing. Okay. And with his old styly spelling, he spells tiger with like a, a W, a do, like a W and a Y. In my head, I pronounce it twice. So, just a quick yeah, recap of, of sort of what we said last time was that, like, so geeks sometimes do bad things. There is the whole geek social fallacies, you should look it up. Um, there's sort of two kinds of bad people at the gaming table. One, one kind of, or what, nah, two kind of harmful people at the gaming table. One is the jerk, the twiger, the animal who is just looking to harm other people with his presence or her presence. And, um, and that person, you know, Yes, it's okay to throw that person out of your campaign. If they if they engage in behavior you wouldn't allow in your own house, they don't you don't need to allow them to be sitting at the gaming table with you. But a lot of the times people do things that they don't realize it bugs other people. I know Yanni, you talked about how you didn't realize how your playstyle was upsetting uh, one of your DMs in a previous campaign. It's true. Um, and wish you know somebody had said something to you at the time and you know and now as we're gaming as adults, a lot of the times, you know, one of sort of two things is happening. One is a player is, is has a particular payout that they're like trying to get, but they don't know how to communicate that, and so they engage in behavior that sort of dis is disruptive. And the other thing would be the um, the player who is so wrapped up in having their own fun that they don't realize that what they're doing is bothering other people. And both of those cases, communication can be really important because hopefully they're an adult and you can have a conversation with them and be like, it looks like you're doing this. Sometimes having the conversation with adult children present is not the way to do it. Uh, <laughs> so, so let's go to your... So I did two sessions of Apocalypse World a while back when Billy's campaign kind of hit some rough spots and he was switching systems and blah, 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 blah. And it went okay, everyone seemed to like it, but then like a lot of time passed and one of the players was a little problematic. And so... I started Apocalypse World again, and I just didn't invite that player, and he invited himself back in, and I'm too much of a passive, uh, passive-aggressive person to actually, like, say, look, I don't want you in my campaign, uh, and, you know, it wasn't really that big of a deal. So we started again. So hold on a second, what was the behavior that was disruptive, though? Um, it was mostly just... I don't know, Apocalypse World isn't the most serious campaign ever, but I was trying to do kind of serious, and it was mostly just taking a argumentative nature towards the rules. Like, finding fault in everything. Not you didn't really, like the system. Right, kind of, I guess. I mean... I feel as though in the subsequent conversation, he didn't own not liking the system, though. He didn't own? Yeah. He, well, in fact, he's, he's like... Like I, thought, I thought you had to talk him into admitting what you just dislike is the system, right? <coughs> right I, was, I, I was adjacent to that conversation. I, I never actually accomplished that when I had the, the, the conversation with him. 
But, you know, he basically said, I don't want to play the guy's small mouth. I'll keep playing Apocalypse World. Um, and so when Big Guy's small mouth started up, he disappeared. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just sort of an argumentative nature to the rules and not... I don't know, like... Rather than just picking names or whatever, he argued about whether or not he could have two names from the lists or one name from each list or... Um, you know, even after I said, no, just pick one name, like, it was a big deal the whole time, and, you know, it was arguing about the guy who sells names, and, like, <clears throat> you know, uh, one of the guards in Apocalypse World in the last session was named Lala, because whatever, uh, is one of the names on the list, and uh, I was like, well, she got a short shift from the name salesman, and... You know, I mean, it's kind of funny, but, uh, so, and I pushed it on G+, and I was like, hey, guys, here's the situation, what should I do, give me some advice on how I can approach this guy, and, you know, should I just say, yeah, you're my friend, but fuck you, get out of here, uh, how, how can I do this and not be a total asshole, and the biggest piece of advice that I ignored was talking to him alone. Uh, so a lot of the advice was things like, well, you should talk to him. And yeah. I know Will last time had specifically said, like, you always want to kind of give them an out. So it's like, you don't say, you know, you're being disruptive. You clearly are not having a good time. You say, it seems like you, you're not really digging this yeah, game, well, and, right? and that is actually, like, I, I tried texting him and apparently his phone doesn't text. So, like, I, was, I, I happened to be at the store. I was like, hey, can I talk to you at some point? I'm not sure how much fun you're having with Apocalypse World. And da-da-da. And then he was like, well, can you just come back here after uh, our D&D session is over? And what I should have done is said, why don't you come over to my house after the D&D session is over, and we'll talk about it. Uh, this was on Tuesday, right? Yeah. Okay. Instead... I went back over there, and uh, I even said, like, you know, I kind of want to talk to you when Pumpkin is not around because Pumpkin was already giving us shit about the game. So, uh, was Pumpkin in the game? No. Just was just around and being obnoxious? Uh, <laughs> was claiming that the angel having a sex move that gave history... And history gives experience. Oh, this conversation. Basically leads to the game uh, promoting uh, rape. Because if you have sex over and over, you can get experience. And Wait, what, really? What? Yeah. I actually thought this was interesting. This is the part I wanted to, to okay. say something about. Cause, so, after my like brief overview of what your conversation had been, I went home and talked to Wendy about this. Because mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting. And I, I was curious about your opinion, Dave. Because, mm-hmm. so I'm imagining a world in which somebody gets their hands on an angel playbook and shows yeah, up sure. to play some apocalypse world and looks at the playbook and says, "All right, the best way for me to level, because they want to level, is to lock up another player character in my basement and rip them." Right. Um. Except that I'm pretty sure, and somebody can correct me if I'm wrong here, 
that rape doesn't count. Really? Yes. See, I, I assumed that Vincent Baker had thought of that and was designing an interesting playbook no, for, if you like, look at the if way, you wanted it to you, be the worst if, person. If you look at the way the... If you look at the way the moves all read, mm-hmm. they're all... They all treat sex as sort of a, a either a mutually beneficial thing or a thing that people react to in sort of the normal way that people do. Like, it doesn't make any sense for the driver to go off and like it, the driver to have sex with somebody and then run off and have to prove that nobody owns him mm-hmm. if he just raped someone. That doesn't make any sense. You see what I'm saying? There, there, there's. Uh, it doesn't make sense that the the uh, faceless should be able to hold one and then show up to help you out if. You just raped him or her. Is it showing up to help you out or is it showing up? Well, okay. Oh, I think it says like, it actually is more showing up to help out. Yeah, it yeah, actually it's says showing up. Yeah, it's, it's like it's, I don't know exactly where I can when, find it out. When uh, in in the moment of need, you say the person's name. Either person can say the name and be there. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's no explanation. And, and both people can spend that hold. So why yeah. would I? Why would I be given hold to to call on my rapist and have yeah. him show up? I mean, um, I don't know. I, See, I, I looked at it and said. Here's a horrible yet interesting character. Because, one, it doesn't seem to me like the rules of Apocalypse World will allow that situation to last for very long. No. Because, correct me if I'm wrong, but the first scene when they leave the room is something like role acting under fire to escape. Yes. Period. Or something or, like that. Well, I mean, it would I have mean, to follow from they the would fiction, say, but I want to try be, and escape, and you'd say, wrong it wouldn't be interesting. It wouldn't be interesting if there was no way to escape. Otherwise, that character would have no narrative. Anything yeah, exactly. On. So that, it, right. mean, that doesn't even make sense. It doesn't even make sense. You're right. I mean, rape is certainly a thing that can happen in apocalypse world, and we definitely skirted, certainly skirted the edge of sexual assault on a number of occasions. Well, certainly accused me of it. I honestly think that that was, but. But it was a char- seduce manipulation. It was a yeah. seduce, yeah. But I mean, like like I said, I, I don't. I'm pretty, and I'm pretty sure I've read somewhere, and it might be in the rules, and it might just be in the sort of the peripheral whatever around it that it doesn't count unless it's consensual. Um, I, I or at least, I don't recall you know, anything like that. I mean, I don't I mean it, it has to at least be in the gray area of you and found. I basically told <laughs> pumpkin. Like, look, if you come to the game and are like, hey. I'm gonna type and win, rape your character repeatedly. Win this game by uh, mechanicalistically <laughs> abusing rape. I'm gonna be like, you're not playing in this game. See, so, so, so here's the other thing: is that there's and, that whole, and then like, I try to switch back to talking. The, the only thing about Apocalypse World is it is a shared creative <coughs> space, and everyone has to kind of be coming to the table looking to do the same thing. And in so much as the meta in Apocalypse World actually assists with the non-meta, it's a very well-designed game that way. There are always going to be ways to break stuff. Oh, sure. Um, I, I mean, I feel like everybody else is playing the game, is kind of embracing the sort of philosophy that Apocalypse World has, where you play to see what happens. Um, we had a great bit where the Brainer, uh, I basically gave him the opportunity to either save his own skin and get into the, the hard holding by himself, or risk alerting the, the pack of zombies that was coming for him by telling the other people uh, that there was a pack of zombies there. And he chose to say, screw them, I'm looking out for myself. And, you know... That's a perfectly fine decision in oh, the yeah. world. But, but, uh, and then everyone else would be, you're such a bastard! Play all the pl- other players get to, you're such a bastard! <laughs> um, but, like, so going back to, this, going back to this situation, he didn't, your, this player didn't seem particularly enamored with your 
But 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 he wasn't willing to admit that he wasn't enamored with it. Right. He keeps because holes and I, so actually, can I, I do have one other question? So actually, you just brought up a thing. The whole idea of play to see what happens. I think part of the you get to pick these names, you get to pick these looks, mm-hmm. is may, I wonder if that doesn't help players let go of their like preordained concept of what their character is. Like you just show up and be like, all right, this, 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 this. I guess this is my character. I was reading. Does that make sense? Reading in one of the mm-hmm. blogs, a guy a guy was talking about how when he took the advanced moves for like read a sitch, read a person. Uh, if you hit it on a twelve, you're no longer constrained to like one of these five questions. You can ask anything, and when that happens, you get hit with analysis paralysis. Oh, yeah, you freeze because, up completely. Like you know, if you've only got five questions, you're like, well, do I want to see who my it's, it's enemy funny because is this, this very but, thing, this very thing happened. Um, I'm listening to the Jankcast's ongoing AP, and this very thing happened to Todd uh, when he he hit the first time he hit the advanced Rita person. It was like, um, and he's usually like, you know, bar forth apocalyptica. That's like his thing, but like coming up with awesome questions. But it took him like, and, and I'm not sure if they if they edited it even more mm-hmm. out, but it took him a while to come up with like good questions we should write. Constraint sometimes breeds creativity and keeps you in the fiction. When I play Apocalypse World, I don't look at a move and go, oh, well, if I ever use this move, I've got a 35% chance of failing and being hosed forever, so I'm just not going to take this move. <laughs> um, but he was complaining about the hard holder's main move, the leadership one, where you know when you're, you and your gang are doing a thing, uh, on a failure, they turn on you and try to turn you over to the other guys or whatever. And I didn't have a cup good answer to that before. In the spirit of the stairs, uh, I came up with a good explanation, which was that you know, depending on the situation, <laughs> the, the fridge answer. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, different different things might happen. So maybe it's one guy, and you'll know not to trust that guy anymore. Yeah. Or you know, maybe a couple of the guys will try and turn you over, but really it's a trick to get the other people to let their guard down. Or you know, I mean, depending on the situation. Or maybe it's just interesting and dramatic for your character not to succeed at everything all the time. Well, I did tell him that right up front, and that didn't seem like... But I want to be awesome. I want to win all the time. He wants to know how to play... Like, he wants to know how to play the game better than everybody else. Yeah, and it's not a system mastery game. No. It's not D&D. Uh, Monday, we're going to play another session, and we'll see how it goes. Yeah, uh, I never actually got him to say, like, I'll give it a try, and I'll try and, like... Is he it. following the the player commandments? Is he following the directives? It seems um, like he's not. <laughs> Did you go over that with the players beforehand? Yeah, I mean, <coughs> the, the, there's there's only so much there. Yeah, but there's, um, like, three or four things, like player characters, if there were a person, play to see what happens, that sort of thing. Like, Yeah. Um, you, and, and, you know... Maybe maybe I'm just putting too much on from the first time, because he did play a hard holder again. I tried to get everybody into the hold. Uh, like I started everybody outside. I wanted to throw in a little bit of zombie fighting to try and get everything interesting. And so, like, you know, the two of the characters were showing up, but one of them had some history with them, so wanted to disguise herself before she went in. And then while that was happening another guy had been kind of spying on them. And so I had a little thing where, like, he spotted some zombies coming up while they were, like, changing their appearance. And then 
you know, then the, the zombie fight happened, and the other guy who happened to be coming in just to get food uh, heard the, the gunfire and showed up, and Billy f- flubbed his role just as Travis showed up, so I ended up shooting him before I realized that Billy had a five harm gun. <laughs> well, uh, these things happen. Well, one of the harm was because he's merciless, and so I, I only made it do four harm. Because he can choose not to be merciless. Well, no, because he was surprised. Oh, okay. Like, he, like... Couldn't Travis just take two disfigurements right then? You just take one in Vietnam. Yeah. Oh, okay. Or he can just get oh, right, right. attention. I have too much monster hearts. Yeah. I, I only had four HP. No. <laughs> six. Six HP. Yeah, he's five. Just yeah. get him the angel quick. <laughs> well, unfortunately, the angel was the other part of the team that was there, so... Yeah. So... But anyways, it, but, it but seems like... That ended up taking a long time. And, you know, I did a little bit of stuff with some NPCs inside the... So the what you're saying is you didn't think... You, you think also like, compounding that was that he didn't get enough screen time to Part start of it, off. But, like, you know, when I, every time I was trying to do... You know, the first thing was, like, the factory guy wanted... He got surplus. The factory guy was like, hey, we're making lots of money. Let's let's have a party for the, the workers and have a couple days off and make everybody happy and um, he wouldn't talk in, per- in first person like it was all it which was, is hard to have a scene it's hard to right. it was hard to, to engage him but worse like he would start asking questions about the rules in an argumentative way rather than like trying to engage with the guy yeah so he'd be like I want to know about the mechanics I don't care about the role play and that's not how you. That's not because you can't engage the mechanics without the role play. Like right, it's a requirement. Right. And you know, so I, I, I tried really <laughs> hard to like, keep that. To do it, you have to do it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, maybe I just need to say that more often. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> but some people, some people, we, I definitely, you know, even at even at Forge Midwest, like, ran that we had we had a few people that had only ever played Pathfinder before, and. They it took them a long time for them to wrap their brains around this type of role play. It, it's yeah. it's not what a lot of people are used to. And if he's a guy who likes system mastery and he's into the mechanics, it might not actually be the game for yeah. him. But let me give it another shot. Yeah. We'll, we'll find Good out. Good luck. And uh, hope so they can pull it off. You guys were also there. Any other observations? Like oh, well, I mean, I got to hear the other side of it from some of the people in your game, and. I think part of the problem, I mean, I know this guy and I don't doubt, you know, <laughs> most of the most of Yanni's story. However, I, I would uh, love to hear other opinions. Uh, it, the impression I got from from some of your players was that he had really enjoyed playing the Maestro D, mm-hmm. and like it sounded like he was doing a better job when he was playing the Maestro D, and now he's playing a hard holder. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that he was, but I <coughs> reports reports indicate that he was having a better time, mm-hmm. but. Uh, well, I think I, 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 I kind of really, I, I didn't get the new, new copies of the character sheets printed out, so I didn't right, let them yeah. do it. But uh, the the Mister D just got too too silly for me to be able to maintain suspension of disbelief. Um, <laughs> was he? Oh, well, he was the chairman, and the the casino he had was oh, right. the cat's meow, and Billy kept calling him Chairman Meow all the time, and. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just wanted to shoot myself. <laughs> but uh, to be honest with you, like one of the things that like we, we talked, you know, we've seen the, the 
the at least Heiko pulled in the same page tool thing and, and some other things like that. But one of the things that's not on there that often should be is how gonzo do you want this experience to be? Yeah. Like that should be something that people all sort of agree on, I think, ahead of time. Because it's perfectly fine to go gonzo, especially in a one shot. As long as everybody's okay with that, but you lose some of the ex the intense I experience in a game like well, and you know, for the first couple, that was that was fine because it was just a hey, we're gonna play a couple sessions till uh, Besom comes back. Yeah, uh, but this was actually this is actually potentially gonna be a long term campaign, right? Right, because Billy's in no hurry to start his zombie thing. Gotcha. And so I was like, you know, I could I could do Apocalypse World as an actual campaign, um, and you know, the very first thing I I did when I sat down was like, all right, two things. We, last time, we you guys played it as a party game. I don't want this to be a party game. This is not Scooby-Doo. You're not going to all pile in a van and go solve adventures. Um, <laughs> and two, I want it to be a little bit more serious than last time, because last time was way silly. Uh, not to say you can't have fun, but I don't want it to be, you know, super wacky, crazy times. Uh, and, and I think it bears mentioning that a lot of the... Um a lot of the players in our larger player group don't possess a throttle for their level of silliness. I know I barely do it all. <laughs> it is very, very difficult for me to keep in mind that there is a target level of silliness and not simply float to whatever you know level of joke is immediately apparent. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, you know, the Bottomless Bag campaign was precipitated on a very silly concept, but I actually ran it very seriously for a long time until all the most serious players that ended up dropping out of the party. Um, you, you know what, and, that, uh, and that was when it really became like crazy clown shoes time. But you know what? This is actually interesting because we were talking about this last time. The sillier something is, the straighter, the more, the less you can break the fourth wall, the, the more serious you have to play it. That's why movies that are constantly, where people are constantly, silly movies where people are constantly mugging for the camera are annoying. Silly movies where the characters are all playing it straight, but the film is, is but, the, but the characters are ridiculous. Like Blues Brothers. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's Blues ridiculous. Brothers works because the, the characters are deadly serious, even though the movie is ridiculous. Yeah. That is one of the best movies. So, ever. I mean, a, a campaign with a particularly <coughs> silly premise right. almost needs to be played straight. And you'll still have the, the, the yucks because... It was also, let's be fair, it was a 3-5 campaign run in the year 2006. In fair 2005. It was, a lot of us were uh, substantially younger. Um, there was just kind of a, uh, okay, all of us were substantially younger. <laughs> let's, let's sort of bring back, so has anyone else had a sort of a, a problem player that they were able to, like, deal with? Or not deal with? And maybe, like, what would... Because we were all younger then, what would we have done differently? <laughs> I don't know, I felt like I actually dealt with my problem players in a fairly reasonable way, but they mostly dealt with themselves, too. Like, a lot of them just went away because they weren't enjoying things, I guess. I, I don't, whatever Which is I, a reasonably mature thing to do. Well, I guess whatever I did, I wasn't doing it actively, it was more of an accident, but I, you know, knowing my personality, me as the DM, you can kind of understand how somebody's, if somebody's behavior in my campaign was displeasing to me, they might coincidentally find themselves not enjoying the campaign as much and just feel unmotivated to get out of bed and come over and show up. Also, every time they glance at you, probably they catch on fire. So there's that too. <laughs> I don't... I, I haven't no, set don't. anyone on fire in quite some time. Judgment laser at me. 
you, you can produce judgment laser eye beams. It's a thing. <laughs> I don't know if that was I, a situation. Like, I didn't judge Pam out of the campaign. I didn't judge Shields out of the campaign. No, it was based on oh, okay. your earlier reference to your judgment laser eye beams. I can't be held responsible you, you for my earlier it. references. <laughs> <laughs> Impossible. Anyway, the um, who was bad in that campaign? I suppose my most problematic player that like didn't just get solved by apathy was Conrad. <laughs> but he was also I mean, he was also kind of the like black hole that we were orbiting <laughs> in that campaign. Like He was certainly a destructive and you know, abhorrent, unnatural force, but he was also <laughs> the thing that made the campaign happen. Like, when everyone else was like, eh, we don't know what to do in this situation, we're trying to roleplay in some kind of accurate way, Conrad was like, I know what I want. Murder all the babies. No, 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 no. He was... He was <laughs> much more contrived than that. The murdering babies was a, entirely a side effect. The, um... It was mostly about the, um... The, the... What's the word I'm looking for? The material acquisition. Conrad wanted a floating palace with a, with a gift shop. That was what he wanted, and that was what he got. And everything that he did was singularly guided towards that goal. He had bought him a Stronghold Builder's Guidebook, and God damn it, he was going to use it. Um, and he used it quite well. I mean, like, like I said, I think Conrad is the only person that keeps asking, hey, when are you ever going to bring back the Bottomless Bag campaign? Because technically it went on hiatus. It never ended. They never did, they never did find a way to defeat that one-up lich. This podcast is fully copyrighted by its hosts. Visit us at podcastmagicmissile.com. I Podcast Magic Missile, attacking the darkness since 2012.